Parshas Chai Sarah opens with the death of Sarah Imenu. Avram Avinu comes to bury his wife. He can't find a place. He meets with the Bnei Ches, and he finally negotiates for the purchase of the Maras Machpelah, and he buries Sarah Imenu. But what's interesting to note is that the first Pasuk of the Parsha is very lengthy and very wordy. Vayu Chai Sarah, the life of Sarah was Mea Shana, a hundred years, Vesim Shana, twenty years, Vesheva Shanim, and seven years, Shnei Chaye Sarah, the years of the life of Sarah. And Rashi's bothered by why are there so many expressions and so many times that we told the years, and explains Rashi, each one is to teach us something. Mea Shana, when she was a hundred years of age, she was just like she was Estrim Shana, just like she was twenty years of age. Until a person is 20 years of age, based in Shamala, the <coughs> heavenly tribunal does not judge them. And in that sense, a person is totally clean. When she was 100 years old, she was a perfect sadekis, As if she were less than 20 years of age, before a person's 20, <coughs> they're considered completely innocent. Even when she was 100, she was completely innocent, not a stain on her coat, a perfect sadekis. And <coughs> when she was 20, it was like she was 7, that's also to teach us her beauty, and it probably refers to her inner beauty, her innocence. <clears throat> when she was 20, she was perfect, as if she was seven. And each of these is a shvach, is a praise of Sarimenu. And the final expression, Shnei Chaye says Rashi, Kulam Shavin Latova. All of our years were equal in their goodness. So clearly we're dealing with a woman of extraordinary caliber one of the greatest women who ever lived, Sora Imenu. And this is the final expression the Torah uses to explain to us her life. And you have to keep in mind that she did have a rather rough life. The fact that all of her years were great, all of her years was in total righteousness, was a unique phenomenon. Because the Gedolim didn't have it easy, and the Avos surely didn't have it easy, and Sarimenu had a very difficult life. Everything you'll read about Avram Avinu facing challenges, Sarimenu was with him in that. It means to say when the entire world stood against Avram Avinu, they stood against Sarimenu as well. And as much as Avram was an outcast, so too was Sarah. When Avram had to leave his birthplace, when he had to leave his homeland, she went with him. And as much as Avram accomplished, as much as Avram did, and as much as Avram suffered, she suffered along with him. And it wasn't just simply the fact that she lived a life with great righteousness. And it wasn't even just that she suffered. She suffered a unique lack. And that was she was barren. She could not have children. Year after year after year, finally, she says to Avram, take my maidservant, take Hagar. And from that union comes Yishmael. And that was even worse. And she spends much of her life begging, imploring, beseeching Hashem, but doesn't have children. And it's not until she's 90 years of age that she actually has a child. But if you'd like to know what that's like, you have to really begin a little bit earlier. The Medrash explains to us that Sarah Imenu was married at the age of 15. Avram Avinu was 25, she was 15 when she got married. And she sat year after year after year, begging, imploring, beseeching. She dreamt of having children. She lived for this, but she didn't. 15, 25, 35, 45, 
throughout the vast majority of her life, until she's 90 years old, until she physically can't have children. But not once was she despondent, not once was she depressed. She went about her business, served Hashem with simcha, and understood that Hashem has a plan, and kulam shavin latova, all of her years were spent in utter righteousness, in perfection, truly a woman of incredible, incredible stature. But what's interesting to note is that the Dasakinim observes that there's one other element of the Pasuk that's also extra. Vayu chayesara, the word vayu should not be there. Explains the Dasakinim, vayu chayesara is to tell us these were the years of Sarah's life. Vayu, he explains, if you do the gematria, actually spells out vav being six, yud being ten, hey being five, yud being ten, Vav being six, if you add Vayu together, you get 37. Vayu Chayesar, 37 were the years of Sarah Imenu's life. The rest of it doesn't really count. Why? Because it explains to Dazakanim, it wasn't until she was 90 that she had Yitzhak. Yitzhak died, the Akedah, Sarah Imenu, at that point, that was where her life ended. Rashi explains to us that the Sutton came to Sarah and said, you know, your husband took Yitzchak. Yeah, yeah. He tied him, tied him up. Yeah, yeah. Put him on the Mizbeach. Took a long knife. And before the Sutton could say that Hashem stopped it, Parcha Nishmasa, Hanishama left her. She was so distraught and so attached to her son. She so much felt his pain that Parcha Nishmasa, she left. She died at 127. And Vayu Chayesara, explains the Dasakinim, 37 were the years of her life. Until 90, she didn't have a child. It was only from 90 to 127. 37 years was her life. The rest apparently doesn't really count. And this Dasakinim, as quoted by other Rishonim as well, is very difficult to understand. Because what this seems to imply is that the first 90 years of her life didn't matter, didn't count. The woman was an unparalleled sadekis. What Avram Avinu did, she did. When they left Charon, they left with the nefesh, nefesh, and the Medrash tells us, Avram Agayar Anoshim, Avram brought the men under the Kanfei to Hashem's ways, Sora brought the women. Whatever Avram was in terms of chesed, in terms of gemilas chasadim, in terms of serving Hashem, she was his parallel. So how could the Dasa Kingdom say, until she was 90, she didn't do anything? And her life began at 90. It was the last 37 years, that was her life, because she was the mother of Yitzhak. And what about the first 90? The vast majority of her life, she was barren. And Rashi taught us, Kulam Latova, all of them were equal in her perfection. How does the Dasa Kingdom explain that the first 90 years doesn't count? This sounds very difficult to understand. And to understand this, I believe we need a much deeper understanding of life. I'd like to share with you a mushal that I think is very, very important. If you have ever had the opportunity to assemble a jigsaw puzzle, imagine you have a large jigsaw puzzle, 2,000 pieces, and you look at the cover of the box and you see the picture. There you see the mountains, there you see the grass, there you see the trees, you see the arrangement. And you carefully study the picture. You note where that small shack is. You note the color of the mountains. You understand the grass and the bushes. And you get a sort of good mental image of the 
actual picture, how it's supposed to turn out, and then you sit down to put together your jigsaw puzzle. The first thing you'll do is you'll separate the light blues, or obviously they're up there, they're the community clouds, the greens, put them all together toward the bottom because those are going to be the grass, the steel gray, those are going to be the mountains. So you start sorting it, you start forming the edge, and you're able to put together this picture. Because you see, if you have an image, putting together 2,000 pieces to fit the image in your mind isn't that difficult. But imagine you were challenged with putting together a 2,000-piece jigsaw puzzle, but you never saw the picture before. You don't know what it is. Is it a mountain scene? Is it an ocean scene? Is it a cabin? Is it the woods? If you were faced with 2,000 pieces and you didn't know what it was supposed to be like, you'd be very hard-pressed to put it together in an organized, systematic way. And I believe that's an apt parable for life. Many people have great, great difficulty making sense out of this thing called life because they don't have an image. They don't have a picture. They don't know what their life is supposed to look like. And as a result, they do this, they do that, they try this, they try that, but it never seems to fit. And creating order, creating some sense of semblance to their life never really seems to work. And the problem is because they don't have an image, they don't have a picture, they don't know what their life is supposed to be like. And I'd like to share with you that fundamentally, if you would like to understand life, there are two concepts you have to understand. The first is basic. The first is that Hashem put us here for one purpose and one purpose only, to grow and accomplish. This is the gym. We're putting it into this world for a few short years to grow, to accomplish, to change the essence of me. And when I'm done my job here, I leave this earth, and forever I am what I shape myself into. But this world has one purpose and one purpose only. It's a gym. You get to change, and you get to grow. When you're in the gym, you may enjoy it. You should enjoy working out if you're in good shape and you know what you're doing. It's enjoyable, but it's very focused, very purposeful. This world has a very real purpose to grow, to accomplish, and that's the first you sowed that you have to understand if you want to understand life. And clearly, if you don't have that one, forget about it. Nothing under the sun makes sense. And if you hotly pursue pleasure, and you hotly pursue everything in this world as if it has everlasting value, you're going to find yourself empty, unhappy, ever confused, because that's not what your Creator had in mind. And the first concept that a Jew has to understand is that there's a purpose, there's a plan, I was put here for the world to come. But there's a second concept that's equally troubling. And if you don't get the second concept, it's often very, very difficult to have any menuchas and nefesh, any sense of peace. And that is that each person is given a unique mission. Each person has their tafkid, each person has their role to play. And if you can imagine the king's palace, there are many, many servants there are butlers and maids, house grooms and stable boys, soldiers and generals, gardeners and groundkeepers. There are farmers and mill operators. There are builders and framers, bakers and cooks. Each one has his job. Each one has his role to play. And before Hashem created us, Hashem gave each of us a mission, each of us a job. And you have to recognize what your job is. You have to be comfortable with it. And you have to understand that your Creator knows well what He's doing. And unfortunately, many times people can know that there's a world to come. 
And they can know that I was created for Olam Haba. But that itself causes them great misery. Why? Because I'm not going to be who I'm supposed to be. I'm not the ultimate masmid. I'm not the smartest guy. I'm not the, the most straight person. I, I have trouble with my midos. I have trouble with my... I'm not what I'm supposed to be. I'm not going to be where I should be in the world to come. And while it's true that we always need to strive, and we always need to set our sights higher and set goals, you also have to recognize that Hashem knows what He's doing, and Hashem gave one person one mission, another person another mission, and you have to make your peace with that. And I have a muscle for this that I think well, well defines it. When my daughter, one of my daughters was taking a course in music appreciation, part of the course they were invited to the Hungarian Symphony Orchestra came to New York City, and they had gotten tickets for very inexpensive, and my wife and I joined my daughter, and we went to the to hear the symphony orchestra. And it was very engaging, very entertaining. I'm not a big fan of uh, symphonic music, classical music, but I definitely appreciated it. And I noticed in the second movement, there was a sort of lull, and a fellow walks onto the stage, gets behind these three kettle drums, and the second movement begins, and somewhere in the second movement, he bangs once, boom, bangs a second time, boom, bangs a second time, boom. And I watched. That was the only thing he did. That was his only part. His entire part was to bang the kettle drums three times. Now, I guess he traveled from Hungary. I guess he stayed with the symphony orchestra. I don't know what he did the rest of the time, but that was his part to play. He banged on the kettle drum three times. Now, I want you to imagine the following. Imagine that the conductor has a son, a young son, and this son is gifted. And from the time the little boy is three years of age, the conductor is giving his son music lessons, and he teaches him the flute, and the little boy is a virtuoso. At the age of five, he's playing full symphonies. By the age of seven, he's giving concerts. It's incredible. He is gifted. He's talented. He is a flutist of the highest order. People are amazed. And then at the age of nine, being fully an accomplished musician, he hears this piece, and he hears the three bangs, boom, 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 of the kettle drum. And he says to himself, wow, that's an instrument. Look at my little, thin, little flute. It doesn't make a good sound. I want a loud instrument. I want one that people are going to notice. So he decides he's going to play the kettle drum. But his father says, come on, you're a virtuoso. No, I want to do it. And he takes his flute and he begins banging and banging. He never touches it. I'll never blow it again. I only want to play the kettle drum. That would be an example of folly. Because if he's very, very talented and very, very skilled, he will accomplish far more And if his goal in life is to be noticed, he'll be noticed a lot more by playing the flute than by banging the kettle drum. But you have to understand that each person is given different talents, different abilities, and a different role to play. And the measure of the man is not the role. The measure of the man is how well you played the role. And if you think you're going to be a big shot in the world to come by accomplishing what someone else is supposed to accomplish... You're making a big mistake. And if you think your instrument is way too small, I wasn't given the kalim, I wasn't given the talents and the abilities to be a world shaker and a world maker, I'll never make it in order to come. If you're not accomplishing what you put on the planet, you're right. 
But if you're using your strength, using your talents, using your abilities as you're supposed to, you will have a higher seat in the world to come than another person who has a very loud instrument but is only using it in a limited fashion. And I believe that's exactly the answer for Sari Menu. You see, Sari Imenu at 20 years of age was a sadekis of unimaginable proportions. Emuna, mitochan, chesed, paragon of total loving kindness. But who she was at 20 was not who she was at 30. Begging, beseeching, imploring Hashem, please, I want a child, please, I want to be the mother of the Jewish nation, please, Hashem, let me. And at 30, she was incredibly larger. But who she was at 30 was not who she was at 40. And who she was at 40 was not who she was at 50. But it wasn't until she was 90 years of age that she was ready to be the mother of the Jewish nation. And it wasn't until she reached that pinnacle of utter, complete devotion to Hashem, utter, complete, other-centeredness, that she was ready to have Yitzchak. And if you'd like to know what happened with the first 90 years of her life, they were well, well used. But in terms of her mission, her tafkid, her tafkid was to be the mother of a Jewish nation. <clears throat> Everything else that she did during those nine years was incredibly important. But if you want to define her mission in life, her mission in life was to be the mother of Yitzhak. And it took her until 90 to get there. <clears throat> but the last 37 years, that was her life. Why? Because that was her mission. Of course, everything else was huge. <clears throat> everything else was a tremendous accomplishment. But in terms of her mission in life, everything else was really just build up and just getting her ready to play that ultimate role to be the mother of a Jewish nation. And I believe that this Chazal shares with us concepts that are so fundamental and so eye-opening. And let me start with the most basic one. There are many times when I speak to women and they say, what am I doing? I, I'm barely doing it. I need to accomplish things. I need to, to be like Sarah Schneer and, and, and open a Beishakov or, or, or maybe give a kidney or do something big. I'm just, I'm just bringing up children. Point number one. How many children did Sarah Imenu have? She did not have 18. Mm-mm. She didn't have 12. She did not even have six children. One child. Arguably the greatest woman who ever lived. Sarah Imenu only had one child. And she devoted her life. Dedicated everything to that child. Because guess what? That was her mission. And she didn't have a sense of, I need to accomplish, I need to change the world, I have to help others. This is what Hashem wants me to do, and this is the right thing, and this is what I'm going to do. And understanding that Hashem knows what He's doing. And that Hashem gives each person a very particular mission, a very particular job. And if my job is to play the flute, I need to be happy with that. I need to recognize that my Creator knows what He's doing. And my Creator has given me the talents, has given me the ability, and gave me the instrument to accomplish my mission. My instrument may not be as loud as yours. I may not have the whole audience going, Oh! But if I play my instrument well, I play my role properly, I accomplish worlds, I'm doing what I'm supposed to. And understanding that requires understanding that Hashem gave me strength, gave me talents, put me into a role, and my role is to fulfill that to the best of my abilities. And these two concepts, and understanding that we're here for a few short years, and each of us are given different life settings, 
in different situations, different things in life, and we're given a different mission, is the key to understanding life. Will you know the answer to every life question when you know this? No. But you see the jigsaw puzzle image. You know what it's supposed to look like. There's a world to come. Here's my mission. Exactly where each piece fits in, you'll figure it out along the way. But you know what it looks like. You know what it's supposed to be. And your life makes sense. And I have a muscle that I believe requires fully understanding to realize how huge this concept is. I want you to imagine the following. <clears throat> imagine there's an actor, a very well-known actor, and he gets a call from his agent. Listen, Jack, we got this great script. It's a guaranteed ask. I'm going to send it by, right? And the next day, the agent <clears throat> sends the script. Actor reads through it. Agent calls him. Jack, we're going to do it, guy, right? Nope, I'm not doing it. Oh, what's the problem? The other actors will change your act. I'm not doing it. But, Jack, well, what's the problem? It's a great part. It's great. What's the problem? What's the problem? The problem is the part. Look at the part you have me playing. The guy's all uh, down and out. He's a loser. But, Jack, that's just the part. You can do a guy, right? I can't stand the whole world seeing me as a luckless, down and out loser. Actor hangs up the phone. <clears throat> that conversation never happened. Because <clears throat> any actor, as well as anyone going to the theater, understands that <clears throat> the actor has a role to play. He's given a script. And the actor is judged on one criteria. And this was your part to play. How well did you play your part? And if your part to play is an idiot savant, but you play it well, you win accolades, you win awards. If your part to play is the most successful human being in the world, but you play your part poorly, the critics will rip you to shreds. The actor is given a role to play, and he's judged based on one criteria. How well did you play your part? And that you sowed is so fundamental to understanding life. And that concept causes most of us so much disharmony. Understanding that when I'm done my job here, they're not going to ask me how smart I was compared to you. How many blog gemara did I know compared to you? How much of a lamdan I was compared to you? They're going to ask me one demanding, penetrating question. This is you. This is what you could have been. This is what you were supposed to be. How much of you did you become? But the scale of measure is me. How much of my talents, how much of my strength, how much of my abilities did I use, how much of me did I become? And understanding that allows us to have something very rare in this world called menucha senefesh, being fully driven, being really, really driven to grow and accomplish, but being comfortable in my role. And whatever that role is, understanding that my Creator knows what He's doing. And it doesn't take a rocket scientist to realize that there are vast differences in talents and abilities. If you look around a small group of people, you'll see tremendous, tremendous differences in intelligence, in talents, in abilities, and none of us get to choose. I don't know of a human being who woke up one day and said, Hashem, <clears throat> I think you should create me with 180 IQ. You know, brilliant, sharp. No, no, Hashem, make that an 80 IQ. Kind of daft, a little bit slow, you know. <clears throat> easier to navigate life that way. We don't get to choose our level of intelligence. As we don't get to choose our level of intelligence, much of our temperament, our nature, our personality as well, we don't get to choose. 
Daniel Goleman, in his book, Emotional Intelligence, writes about the fact that at 22 months of age, they can tell the nature of the child, extroverted or introverted, bold or timid, because hardwired in birth is much of the nature of the child. Can you go further? Can you expand? Yes, within limited reach. But if you realize that you and I were given vastly different temperaments, natures, abilities, you also realize that each of us were given a different stage setting. We are but actors on the stage. All of the trappings of life, all of those things that we think are so important, charisma and talent, beauty, all of those things that we give such weight to are but props on the stage given to us We're given a role to play, and the only question they ask us is, what did you accomplish? How much of you did you become? They don't ask me how much money I had, because that money is not mine. That money is given. But the same way, they don't ask me how much money I was given. They don't ask me how smart Hashem made me. They don't ask me what talents Hashem gave me. They don't ask me, was my singing voice beautiful or not? They ask me, did I use my voice properly? Did I use the opportunities that Hashem gave me to grow, to accomplish? Did I remember that this is but the gym and there's a world to come? Did I recognize my role and did I play it well? And when you understand that, you begin to understand life. And if you don't understand that, nothing much under the sun makes sense. Because if you look around and you see the vastly different lives that people were given, you'll see quickly that it's not fair. I'll give you an example. I know two brothers. One brother, everything he touches turns to gold. Financially, very successful. A beautiful marriage. His children, each one more unique, more special than the other. And his brother, the other one, everything the other brother touches turns to mud. Can't earn a living. His shalom buys his marriages on the rocks. And his kids, excuse my expression, one is a bigger misery than the other. But these are two brothers born to the same parents brought up in the same home, went to the same yeshivas, living vastly different lives. And don't tell me one's trying and the other one isn't. Each one's trying, but you ever notice that some people are socially gifted? They know just what to say to whom, in what way, and what time. And some people are social klutzes. You ever notice that some people are just very, very successful, just everything they touch turns to gold. And some people, just the opposite. And when you recognize that each one of those brothers were given a different life setting, and not because Hashem loves this one and doesn't love this one, and not because this one necessarily is going to be greater than that one, but because each one was given a different life setting, each one was given a different role to play, and each one is asked one question when they're done their job here, how much of you did you become? And I have a mushal that I think is very important to really bring this into some level of clarity. There was a novel written many years ago, <clears throat> not a Jewish novel, and it was <clears throat> written about a, the story was about a football player who's getting in shape for the Super Bowl Sunday, three weeks forward. In any case, to get in shape, he's riding his bike on a country road, <clears throat> and as he's riding along the road, at the end of the road is a long, winding tunnel. He's heading into the tunnel this way, <clears throat> unbeknownst to him, there's a car coming the other way. In any case, Angel of Death is new on the job that day. Angel of Death sees a football player coming this way, sees the car coming the other way. <clears throat> Angel of Death says, why wait for the blood, the mess? So instead of waiting for the actual collision, <clears throat> Angel of Death takes the football player out of his body, 
they bury the body and the football players up in heaven. Okay, only one problem. Angel of death made a mistake. Any normal man would have crashed, <clears throat> would be dead, deserves to be up in heaven. <clears throat> but this man was an athlete with keen instincts. The last moment he would have veered off, had it <clears throat> been allowed to play out, he wouldn't have hit the car. He deserves to be alive. The problem is his body's buried. <clears throat> tumult, what do they do now? So they decide to do the only thing they can do, to find someone <clears throat> as close in age to the football player as possible. And the key part of the story is <clears throat> the football player opens his eyes and feels himself in the body of this rich tycoon. He looks around and sees the butlers, the maids in this mansion, and then he feels a flab on his body. And he realizes he only has three weeks to Super Bowl Sunday. So the key part of the story, he's on the front lawn with the butlers and the maids running football drills as he tries to get his arm in shape for the big game. Well, that's a cute story. There's a very real punchline. That exact story happened to every one of us. You see, I, before I was put into this body, I was under Hashem's throne of glory, and Hashem said, this is the generation into which you shall be born. Into this body, with this temperament, and these natures, in this birth order, in this generation, this is the ideal state setting for you. Go out there, ford those streams, climb those mountains, become the great person you can become. And when you understand that, you understand life. Sarah Imenu was one of the greatest, if not the greatest woman who ever lived. But as the Dazakanim explained, the first 90 years of her life, oh, they were hugely impactful, hugely meaningful. But in terms of her tafkid, in terms of her mission in life, they were really just build up. Because she was put here, her mission was to be the mother of the Jewish nation, the mother of Yitzhak. And some missions don't seem that big. They don't seem that amazing. They seem rather plain. And for a person to really be happy in life, you have to understand, much like the jigsaw puzzle, you have to first have an image, and then you can put the individual pieces into place. You have to understand two separate concepts. One, I was put here for the world to come. This world is passing, it's fleeting. This is the gym. We'll put through various exercises, various situations, all for my growth, all to change me. But none of them are significant. None of them have everlasting importance. The only thing that has everlasting importance is what I do with them, and what I do in the given situation, how I react, how I use it. And when you understand that, you understand that people are given vastly different missions. Sari Imenu's job in life was not to be the mother of 12 children, not to be the mother of 18, not even the mother of four the mother of one child. That was her mission. And she lived her life with total, complete goodness, kulin, shavin, latov. Before she had her child, she was happy in her role as the wife of Avram, taking care of the world. And once she was in her mission of life, she was totally, completely dedicated to that, understanding that my Creator knows exactly what He's doing. Understanding that my Creator put me here, gave me talents, gave me strength, and gave me a job to do. If I'm a flutist, and I'm supposed to play the flute, and I take that very fine instrument, and I try to make a lot of noise with it, I'm not noticed enough, I'm not making enough noise, and I take it and bang the kettle drum, well, guess what? It's going to do a lousy job. You have to recognize that your Creator knows what He's doing. Hashem gave us each talent, abilities, and Hashem gave us each a mission, 
that mission may not seem to you or to someone else as glorious, or may not seem so romantic. It may not seem like a big deal. It may seem very simple. And it might be. But it might be the greatest thing that you can accomplish in the world. After all, one child, that's not a big deal. You're not going to tell me and she's going to make it into the annals of the truly great people just by having one child? Come on. But uh, I think she did. Sarimenu is, if not the greatest, certainly one of the most. And it's hard to imagine her righteousness, but her mission in life was one, and it was simple. To have that child and bring that child up, and ultimately to understand that she was laying the seeds for an entire nation. We are like that football player put into a body, put into this thing called life, given all the props, all of the scenery, all of the stage settings, and we are but actors on the stage. Our role is not significant. What we do in our role, how we act in a role is, and I believe this concept is fundamental for understanding life. And I want to close with one more observation. See, this concept is not just hugely important for me understanding my role, it's also hugely important for me relating to your role. You ever notice we are all very judgmental? I know exactly, this one is okay, this one's good, this one's great, this one's eh, she, meh, him, yeah. Oh. We have them all pegged. Everyone I have them pegged in terms of their righteousness, in terms of their chesed, in terms of their learning, their dominating. I got it all pegged out. Just listen to my judgment call. And I'd like to share with you, we never get it right. But it's not just that we never get it right. We are so far off that it, it's astonishing. Let me give you a muscle. <clears throat> a number of years ago, <clears throat> I was running for a little bit. I try to be physically active. I certainly value exercise tremendously. <clears throat> and for a certain while, <clears throat> I was running. Now, I was never really a runner as a kid. <clears throat> I never really did it. But I, for a short stint, I began running. And I was in pretty good shape. <clears throat> and I was pretty proud that I was doing well. In fact, I was running miles. I was run, um, I was quite proud of the fact that I would run five miles in under 40 minutes. In fact, at a certain point, I ran five miles in 37 and a half minutes, and I was very proud of myself. There I was clearly a middle-aged person running basically seven-minute miles for, for five miles. I was quite proud. Okay, imagine in my moment of pride when I hear about this other guy who's supposed to be a real athlete, supposed to be in tremendous shape. And I hear that he also ran five miles. <clears throat> but he didn't run it in uh, 37 minutes. Uh-uh. He ran five miles in an hour. 61 minutes. And I said to myself, what? <laughs> 61 minutes? That guy's nothing. <clears throat> He's out of shape. I could do that walking. Run <clears throat> five miles in, in an hour? That's a joke. Come on. What are you? What are you? <clears throat> Until I find out that he's a Marine. And he ran those five miles with a 90-pound pack on his back uphill. Now, if you'd like to understand what that means, go to the gym, pick up two 45-pound plates, and try walking around. And then when you realize that Marines run miles with heavy packs, 50 pounds, 75 pounds, sometimes as heavy as 150 pounds. And when you read about a man who runs an entire five-mile course with 90 pounds on his back, you realize that people carry different loads. And when I recognize that I was given a different mission than you, and what this situation means to me <clears throat> means something else to you, you begin to understand we're not really equipped to judge each other. This guy always comes late to Dominic, and he hardly shows up. What's, up, what's with him? 
until I find out that he has social anxiety. And where he places himself is always a question. Too close to this guy, too close to that guy. I know where, and he can't dominate in the shul. He can't. I know this guy should be learning more until I find out that ADD is an understatement. For me to judge another human being, I have to know their strengths, their talents, their abilities. I have to know where they're coming from. I have to know their background. I have to know exactly their stage setting. I have to know exactly their capacity. To judge another human being, I have to be their creator. And there's certain jobs that are better off left to the one who should have that job. And understanding that I don't have a clue. I barely understand my strengths. I barely understand my life situation. I surely don't understand yours. And when you fully understand that, that each of us are given a different stage setting, different talents, different abilities, a different job to do. One guy might be a flutist. The other guy might be supposed to play the strings. Another man is supposed to be a violinist. But each person given a different role to play, a different part to play, and each instrument with its own sound. When you understand that, you no longer judge people. Because I don't have a clue. I don't know your strengths. I don't know your weaknesses. I don't know your role to play. And with that, you understand why we're here. You grow, you accomplish, you set lofty goals because you know we're here for a few short years. You're comfortable with your role and you set your sights high knowing that your creator wants your success, knowing that your creator gave you everything you need for your ultimate growth.